Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. As I said last week on the podcast, I say again today, I'm still struggling with congestion. And so we apologize for any coughs or wheezes or sneezes or snorts or any other respiratory noises that may come through on the podcast. We'll try to edit those out, do our best with that. Well, today I want to talk about some core issues that undermine church governance. Core issues that undermine church governance. Now, when I speak of governance, I'm talking about the decision-making apparatus of a church. This, in some churches, is a regular business meeting or regular uh church meeting of some kind in which people come together uh, to vote on certain issues. In other churches, there may be some uh, meetings like that where there's voting, but those aren't very often because the church has delegated more of its decision-making authority and responsibility to smaller groups. Uh, These could be elders or deacons or committees or councils or various things that might be uh, structured inside a church. In my organization, we use a board of trustees model where the board of trustees uh, meets a couple of times a year and has uh, mechanisms uh, to make decisions between board meetings and then depends on uh, the, the administration or the executive team to provide a significant amount of the leadership responsibility day to day. So whether you're talking about a church that's governed congregationally by, by frequent meetings of the whole congregation or a church that's, that's governed uh, by a smaller group uh, where the congregation may be involved in some capacities but has delegated the responsibility to some other groups to, to uh, make decisions along the way, or even in the context where I work where you're dealing with a board uh, and more corporate-type structures, you still have governance taking place. Governance meaning that uh, decisions are made, typically made uh, strategically or in broad-based ways that chart overall direction uh, for a church or a ministry organization. Now, I'm often asked, what's the best form of governance? And my answer sometimes frustrates because I say, well, that depends on the situation at hand. It depends on whether you're talking about a seminary or a state convention or a local church or some other kind of organization. Governance structures are somewhat malleable, meaning they have a lot of flexibility built into them. And so you can structure a go- one kind of governance for an organization like a seminary, another kind of governance for a small a rural church in a very stable community, uh, another kind of governance for a university or a, or, or a, uh, a foundation in a community or in a convention, uh, another kind of governance at a state convention or a national convention type meeting. So there are lots of different forms of what governance can look like. And today's podcast is not the designed to walk through all those different models or talk about the pros and cons of each one or where which different ones are applicable. What I'd rather talk about today is what undermines good governance. 
Because the faulty assumption that many leaders make is, if I just get my governing structure fixed, if I get my governing structure right, then governance will be, oh, that much more effective and, oh, that much easier. But the hard reality is there are some factors that undermine good governance, no matter how clearly articulated are the structures by which you're depending on the governance to take place. In other words, if you don't have some of these things I'm going to talk about today in order, then it won't really matter how polished your presentations, how uh, captivating is your business meeting, how well-oiled and smooth are your elders or your functioning committee structures or your deacons. None of that's really going to matter if some of these underlying issues are not resolved. So let's talk about them. Five core problems undermining good governance. The first one is this. A lack of mission clarity and mission discipline in an organization. Lack of mission clarity and lack of mission discipline in an organization. Now, by mission clarity, I mean a clearly articulated mission that is broadly owned by the members of the organization and its constituents such that everyone knows the mission. And then mission discipline is bringing alignment to personnel, budgets, policies based on that mission so that these things are running along in parallel fashion and the mission becomes the North Star, if you will, the plumb line, if you will, the, the guiding force, if you will, for personnel, budget, and policy to be developed to streamline and, and support the work of the organization. Now, when an organization lacks mission clarity, it doesn't know its mission, doesn't know why it exists, doesn't know its purpose or reason for being there. And when a mission, an organization lacks mission discipline, meaning it does not discipline its personnel, budget, and policies to its mission, it really won't matter how you govern that organization. You're going to have difficulty. Why? Because every time you come to a decision, people are going to make that decision based on what they believe the organization should be accomplishing or what they believe the organization was designed to do. Every time a decision comes up, they're going to be making the decision about how to allocate personnel and budget and other resources, not based on a clearly articulated mission and the practice of disciplining decisions to that mission, but instead what they perceive to be the mission and what they perceive to be is important for getting it accomplished. Mission clarity, mission discipline. Now, when you have both of these things, it streamlines governance no matter what method of governing you're using because it enables everyone at the table or everyone in the meeting to ask the same question. How does this matter that we're concerned about today? How does this fulfill our mission? Or what must be done about the matter at hand in order to better fulfill our mission? And then in terms of mission 
discipline? How can we bring to bear the various resources that we have at our disposal to accomplish our mission so that when we have a question about budgeting or about personnel or about policy, it's not a question of budgeting. Do we have the money or personnel? Do we like the person or policy? Is that the way we've always done it before? It's none of those kinds of questions. It is instead, how does this particular issue align with our mission and how and what, what must we decide to facilitate that alignment? You know, here at Gateway, we've made some big decisions over the years. And we've had to work through our governance structures to get those done, where we have had staff and uh, faculty input and then board of trustees decision-making um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day. And when we've made these big decisions, we've typically done so with what is perceived from the outside and is experienced on the inside as remarkable unity. I'm often asked, how do you do that? Well, it's not because we have wonderful personalities or are remarkable people. And it's, it's also not that we have a perfectly streamlined governance structure that doesn't ever have any confusion or difficulty associated with it or misunderstandings or broken relationships or anything like that. No, no. The reason that we're able to make largely unified, healthy decisions in, our, in the midst of our governance structure is because from top to bottom, there's mission clarity and there's a heritage and a tradition a practice, if you will, of mission discipline also in the organization. So we start here. You want better governance? Well, before you think about how to have more frequent meetings or whether you should do it on a Tuesday night or a Sunday after church, before you start thinking about those nuts and bolts of governance, ask yourself, do we have a unified commitment to our mission? Is it clear and everyone on board, is everyone on board with it? And do we have the same kind of commitment to mission discipline to bringing alignment to the allocation of these resources around this mission uh, that we've declared? If you do, you've taken a huge step forward, a huge step forward in being able to practice good governance because you have mission clarity and mission discipline. All right, number two. The second issue which undermines good governance is lack of trust between leaders and followers. Lack of trust. You know, when you're thinking about a major decision in a church or ministry organization, you're thinking about spending a large amount of money or maybe incurring some debt or taking on a project that has significant risk or putting a piece of property that you may own at risk. When you think about doing these things as a ministry, uh, you think, well, we, we want to make the best decision. We want to make a good decision. But in the context of that, we recognize that there's always going to be some uncertainties associated with these big decisions. How do you have good governance in those moments? You have high trust between leaders and followers. That's why it's so important. To go back to some previous podcasts I've done on building trust in ministry organizations and to really think about what does it take to build the kind of trust we need so that we can make the best decisions possible and keep moving forward. 
You know, trust is developed a number of different ways. And as I said, I've done a whole podcast on this, so I'll just highlight a couple of ideas. But trust is developed through serving others and through sharing life with others. In other words, when you serve another person in the name of Jesus, the Bible says you gain influence in their lives. They come to respect you, value your input, and trust you more because of your service. And then on top of that, uh, trust is also gained not only by sharing a service together or sharing a serving and serving other people together, but by sharing life together and by experiencing things together. You know, when you go through an experience with someone and you come out on the other side, uh, you have a different, different, different appreciation for that person, a different level of confidence in them. And then you realize that the next time something like this comes up, you're going to trust them even more because of what you've been through together. Now, another part of trust, frankly, is also competence. We trust people who serve us and who share life with us, but we also trust people who've demonstrated competence to us. You know, for example, here at the, at the seminary, when in early years I made some personnel decisions that were uh, somewhat risky at the time, but paid off in big dividends for our employees, they saw me serving them with competence and trying to do the right thing with limited resources. And as the resources expanded and the uh, faculty here and staff were able to benefit from that, the trust level went up. Because they saw, you know, we, we've trusted, we've seen good things happen, and now when, no, when, when the next big decisions come, we're going to be able to trust even more because of demonstrated past competence. Well, no more time to talk about where trust comes from today, but now shifting back to the issue of governance. Anytime you're making a major decision in a ministry organization, by whatever form of governance you have, anytime you do this, there are going to be uncertainties. And the people involved are going to have to look at each other and decide not just do we trust the information and do we trust the facts, but do we trust the people? I was recently talking with a businessman. He was talking to me about his process of working through uh, decision-making in his company of whether they were going to invest in another company. And I said, well, uh, how do you make that decision? He said, well, you analyze the financials and you analyze the markets and you analyze their track record. And then he said, but what it really comes down to is do you trust their leadership? I thought, man, that's not that much different than church. <laughs> he said, I finally had to conclude that I trusted their financial leadership in this company so much that I was willing to make a sizable financial investment in that company going forward because I trusted them. So issues that undermine governance, first, lack of mission clarity and mission discipline, and second, a lack of trust between leaders and followers. Third, a third issue that undermines good governance is a lack of clarity on decision-making processes. Now, bylaws and documents like that typically lay out the rules or the procedures for decision-making. And this is one of the most important things a leader can do for his or her organization, and that is make sure that you have a mapped-out plan or a mapped-out process to get you from point A to point B on decision-making. In other words, here's when we're going to meet, 
Here's how long we'll have to deliberate. Here's the factual information that we're going to need to decide. And we're going to repeat that process over and over again so that we have adequate communication about the decision-making process. Now, as a leader, you may not know the outcome of every decision. You may not be able to predict it. You certainly won't be able to control it. But the thing that you can do is make sure that there is a good process followed in decision-making. Process gives people confidence because it eliminates uncertainty in their decision-making. Now, it never eliminates all of it, but good process eliminates a significant portion of it. Now, what are some of the things to think through when you're thinking about decision-making process? Well, the first is, who's authorized to make this decision? You know, for example, sometimes here at Gateway in meetings, I'll say, hey, that's, that's a board of trustees decision. We can't make that call. Uh, some other times I'll say, hey, no, this is a delegated responsibility that they've asked us to take care of, and we're going to take care of it today. We can decide this. So who? Who in your church, for example, has the authority to decide something? Is it the church and the church alone? Is it the church as they've delegated authority to the deacons or the elders or some committee or council? Who has the authority to make the decision. And then another part of decision-making process is what will be done to make this decision or how will this decision be processed and made? So in other words, will we have three months to work on this or six months to work on this or, or something like that? I know that, for example, here at the seminary, uh, because a lot of our problems are sort of open-ended, like renewing the curriculum or improving course content or something like that. And so one of our leaders in our academic world will often tell the faculty, uh, we're going to work on this until this certain date. And so good governance involves getting our work done by that certain date, and it also involves letting that certain date motivate us to get good decisions made. So clarity on decision-making process is the who gets to make the decision or who's responsible to make the decision or who has the authority to make the decision. And then the when, when does the decision have to be made? What will be the time frame in which it will be decided? Is there a deadline or not? And if so, or if not, how does that impact when we're actually going to get this decision made? And then another uh, part of good decision-making process is how will the decision be reached? How? Will it be reached in one meeting? Will it be reached in two or three meetings? Will you need to bring in some outside voices or will it be something that can be handled internally? How will this decision be processed to completion? Now, good governing structures do not make up the decision-making processes every time they have to make a decision. They establish patterns and preferences and ways of going about things, and they follow those when they have a major issue before them. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but can they ever alter those? Well, absolutely, yes. It is important from time to time to freshen up your organizational decision-making processes and make sure that they're working in the context in which you're trying to do ministry right now. Remember, having said that, it is important that you lay out that process and you work that process so that people have confidence in that process and that the process itself doesn't undermine what you're trying to do. So, Lack of clarity on mission discipline, lack of trust between leaders and followers, and lack of clarity on decision-making processes. Number four, a fourth uh, issue that undermines good governance is the lack of information needed to make a decision or to justify a decision to those for whom it's already been made. 
lack of information that's needed to either make the decision or justify the decision that has been made. Now, timing and sharing information is a delicate part of learning how to lead in an organization. Most people do not like things to be sprung up on them. They like to gain some information, give it some time to process or think, and then come to make a decision or to implement their decision. Now, obviously, there are times when that's not necessarily practical or even desirable, but most of the time it is. Most of the time it's practical and desirable to give out the information needed and allow enough time to go by to process that information so that a person or group can come to make a really good decision at the really right time. You know, this takes a number of different applications, this sharing of information that either gives people enough information to make or justify a decision. This involves everything from, uh, from, from preaching messages to pulpit announcements. This involves everything from preaching messages to pulpit announcements to websites and brochures and other kinds of promotional material. It's the information that people need before they can make an important decision. But for some decisions, it's not a matter of the person even making the decision. It's about the decision has been made, and now the information has to be interpreted to them. You know, we've just had an example like this here at Gateway. As you know, recently I asked the Board of Trustees to start the transition process to replace me as president over the next 18 months. Well, there was no information uh, shared about that prior to the decision being made by the board because it's obviously a very confidential and sensitive matter and it relates to personnel, so that makes it even more uh, circumspect in how we deal with those things at the board. But once the decision was made, now it's not a lack of information needed to make the decision. The decision's already been made, but now it's a information needed to justify or to explain the decision to the constituents, meaning primarily employees, students, alumni, people like that. So coming out of that meeting, we had a very aggressive rollout strategy for how we were going to communicate that information. It involved a series of emails that went out on the first day. It involved... Uh, me speaking uh, to several groups by Zoom in the, in, the, in the first few days after the announcement. It involved um, putting together a chapel message and speaking to the whole community through that vehicle. Uh, it also involved some other kinds of communications, written and visual, that helped people understand the decision that had been made. So good governance in this case was not giving people the information they needed to make the decision. It was giving people the information they needed to justify or explain the decision after it had been made. Now, good governance. Yes, it matters that you have good governing structures, good governing committees or boards or congregational meetings. I get that. But no matter how you put that whole thing together, if you have some certain things that are not in place, it will undermine any governance processes. And I've given you four things so far. Good governance is undermined by lack of mission clarity and mission discipline. It's, underlying, uh, 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 it's undercut by a lack of trust between leaders and followers. It's undermined by a lack of clarity on the decision-making process. And it's undermined by a lack of information needed to make, or in some cases, 
to explain or justify the decisions. But now, there's one more issue that I observe undermines effective governance, and that is arrogance and presumption by leaders. Arrogance and presumption. How does this show itself up and how does it undermine governance? Well, it shows itself up this way. Well, I don't know why they need all these meetings and all this information. They just need to learn to trust us. Anytime anyone justifies their actions by telling me, you just need to trust us, all the warning bells start going off in my mind. Look, I understand how important it is to trust leaders. I get that. I also understand how important it is to be trustworthy as a leader. But that does not justify me or give me the right or even aim me in the direction of a mandate of simply telling people, trust me, trust, trust me. Anytime I hear that, it makes me a little nervous because that is a subtle way of communicating to people that you are smarter than they are, you know more than they are, you know what's best more than they do, they can't be trusted with information and they can't be trusted to make decisions. Rather than say to people, trust me, rooted in your own arrogance, demonstrates some humility and take the actions necessary to facilitate trust being gained. That's a different thing. Instead of saying, trust me, serve, share information, demonstrate competence, do the things that build trust in relationships and in organizations. Do those things. And instead of your arrogance motivating you to tell people, trust me, your humility will motivate you to do things that will actually engender the trust that you need. And then I said arrogance and presumption. By presumption, I mean presuming on people, assuming things that are not true, uh, making presumptions and assumptions about the amount of information that needs to be shared, the amount of time that needs to go by, the amount of input people need to have, All of these things can undermine good governance in ministry organizations. So instead of arrogance and presumption, how about we replace that with humility and service? Humility and service. You know, my wife recently uh, put together a little document to explain some of her work and helping people understand how to navigate in an environment like we work in here at the seminary. And she was specifically referencing multiculturalism and relating to all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and strata and and different uh, perspectives. And Anne made this really good conclusion. She said, when you make a mistake, if you will show humility Most people will forgive you. And then she said, and if you are kind and considerate, even if you make a mistake in how you relate with people, they will be patient with you and forgive you. You know, leaders are going to make mistakes in governance. There's no doubt about that. 
I've made some colossal ones over the years where I thought we should do a certain thing and I tried to get it done and it didn't work out. Or even sometimes when I did get a vote passed and then I realized later that was a huge mistake. What was I thinking? But people have been largely willing to work with me because on my good days, I've demonstrated humility and deference during decision-making. Instead of arrogance and presumption, I've worked on those other qualities which have engendered better governance. Now, I rush quickly to say I've made a lot of mistakes on this. And when I've made mistakes, I've paid for them. And when I've been presumptively arrogant and said, trust me, do what I say. We don't need to have any more meetings about this. I don't know what your problem is. Get in line, follow God, submit to authority. When I've said all those things, I have always regretted it because while I may have gotten my way in the moment, I did not win the day and take the organization forward by the governance uh, decisions that were being made. So I've worked hard, and I want you to work hard, at moving away from arrogance and presumption because they do undermine good governance no matter what governing structure you're using. Well, perhaps on another day on the podcast, we can talk about how to create better governing structures, and certainly that can be done. But more importantly today, I've tried to point out to you that it doesn't really matter what your governing structure whether you use a business meeting model or a delegated model to a team of elders or deacons or church council, or whether you're in an organization like mine with a board of trustees or some other kind of group leadership council that takes you forward, it really doesn't matter so much which one of those you have because they're all malleable and they're all flexible enough that they can be made to work in different contexts and different settings. But there are certain things that can undermine good governance no matter how you're practicing it. Lack of mission clarity and mission discipline. Lack of trust between leaders and followers. Lack of clarity on decision-making processes. Lack of information needed to make or, if the decision's already been made, to explain or justify the decision. And then finally, arrogance and presumption among leaders that changes their attitude, shifts their focus, and keeps them from being able to move people forward together. Good governance is a part of ministry leadership. Putting it into practice is one of our real challenges. But no matter how good your structures, if you don't have some of these other things in line, it will undermine good governance. Work on these issues as you make good decisions and as you lead on.